Welcome to the Dharma Spring. So today we're looking at taking up the three refuge vows. I take refuge in awakening, I take refuge in the way, I take refuge in my companions. Otherwise known as I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. So in the email I sent out ahead of time about this, if you got that, overall I was connecting with the dynamic quality of what this refuge is about. Um, Rather than being a fixed thing, it's taking refuge in something that's alive and moving. But also trying to find a sense of stability within that live and moving thing. So that last phrase, it's one of my favorite little things to say, is to be grounded in groundlessness. Um, seems to be when we combine those two translations, we end up being grounded in groundlessness. That's the invitation here. Invitation here. And for me, overall, that's just to take refuge in life. Yeah? To turn to life rather than away from it. To be in your life, to be in this world, and find that as your place of refuge. And also create that as a place of refuge. So you're providing refuge for yourself and others in the life that you're living and you're taking refuge in the place that you are creating. Does that make sense? Like it's a dynamic happening back and forth um, and on and on. So I found myself hmm what I want to talk about, you know, I could try to connect it to those structures of the, you know, draw the lines and connect the dots. But then as I was contemplating what I have here on this sheet of paper, it's like, well, I'm going to trust that I'll just talk about it and those dots will magically get connected. You'll all see that because we're looking at this together. And I thought, well, that might not happen either. Well, that's okay. <laughs> um, I'm just going to talk and whatever happens, happens, and I'll trust that. And it's kind of like, well, trusting in nothing. <laughs> I'll just talk. We'll see what happens, yeah? Because really, I just want to talk about life, my life experience uh, a couple days ago. And if I'm saying inherent in life is the refuge of awakening the way and my companions, we'll see if anything is apparent there or not. I also invite us not to look too hard or listen too hard to what I say or even into your own lives trying to find it. You might just trust that it is there without having to trust that it is there. <laughs> But uh, two days ago, on Thursday, I had to take our, our car off to the, to the shop. And picked a place, I try to, that's close enough that I can walk home and then walk back to get it. And if you're familiar with the springs, there's Motor City Drive, there's a place where 
big collection of car dealers. I had to go to a dealership this time, and um, rather than a regular mechanic. And I looked on the map initially, and I couldn't quite find the Toyota place, but I knew that not too far away, there'll be one over there. And I, you know, I looked it up. I made the appointment. Then I looked at the map later, and it's like, oh wait, that's way at the beginning of it. That's like at the far end of Motor City. I had to walk that far, <laughs> and uh, that was fine. So I thought, oh good, that'll give me a chance to think about this talk, because I hadn't thought about it yet. But I thought, okay, that walk will be the chance I get to really look at what I want to talk about today. And I had a choice of, well, my mind, in my original, being closer to uh, 8th Street, I would have just walked up Motor City and then headed home. But what this gave me the opportunity for was connecting with the Midland Trail, this path that goes along the creek and everything else. I said, oh, good, I'll go there. I like that instead. I like to go on walks. And I've ridden my bike there. This will give me a chance to walk it. And uh, give me a, some time again to, to wonder about refuge, and awakening the way and my companions. Um, so the way I got to that point was we'd gone to our regular mechanic and he encountered something leaking. And it wasn't there the last time we were at the mechanic. Not only that, he had never encountered this particular thing leaking before on a Toyota RAV4. And he talked to his Toyota people and they didn't know anything about it either. So he says, I think you should take it to the dealership. And, you know, it's, it's going to be painful to have to pay for that, to fix it. Plus, warranty goes to 60,000 miles. We were at 66.5. So just to, you know, that thing. It's like, they may give you a break or something if they look at that. and So you might go to the dealership. And if you don't get it fixed and things go worse, then it's going to be, well, my words, excruciatingly painful to pay for. <laughs> so you might go there, get a break, and you're still going to be in pain for what you have to pay. So here's that thing for me of, and maybe it's you too, it took me a while to find a mechanic that I trust after going to certain ones and they tell you stuff, oh, you need this, you need that, when you don't really need it. And it's like, I don't like that whole relationship. So finally, for the last two and a half, three years, I think, had a mechanic that seemed to be honest and we trusted. And now that person I trust is sending me off to the dealer. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> what's going to happen? I don't know if I trust them. And they're the dealer. They could be nice or they could be wheeling and dealing. I don't know. So there was that anxiety there. So I procrastinated a little bit. Partly because, oh, what's the dealer going to do? And knowing that there's going to be pain involved with whatever the cost is going to be. So a couple of weeks went by, but there was also practical reasons that I didn't want to go right into the appointment. Also knowing, i got to get there soon, otherwise the excruciating pain could, could develop if I don't get this fixed, right? Um, but the practical reasons were, like last time, if you recall, I was heading off to a cabin after our meeting. And I was like, if I take it to the mechanic, they might need it for a couple of days and they, may not, they might keep me from going to the cabin and I'm not having that happen. <laughs> I need to get to the cabin. Then there was a needing to come down here to give a talk. 
and doing another another event and other places I needed to be. So it ended up being this past Thursday was the day I could surrender the car for a day or two and be all right. So there's practical reasons and anxiety, procrastination reasons that it waited until that long. So eventually get there, I drop it off and they're like, well, we'll have to look at it and we'll call you with the estimate. So I don't even have an estimate when I'm leaving the dealership of how much pain I'm going to be in. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I head out, cross over this, uh, well, over one street under I-25 and get onto the trail and start walking. And I'm in that place of like, hmm, I wonder what it's going to cost. I wonder how bad it's going to be. And maybe it'll be not so bad. And, you know, those kind of thoughts go through my mind. And then I remembered years ago when money was tight and there were bills to pay and I didn't know how I was going to pay them and wasn't sure how things were going to be and I would be there in bed at night stressing out about it and thinking about it and how do I do this and how do I do that and that was not fun yeah especially because at midnight nobody that I could talk to was around like the the places I could contact and ask questions about what do I do and how do I do this they're in bed asleep hopefully so here I am worrying about stuff that may not need to be worried about and also doing it at a time that's not productive because nothing can be done so realizing that helped me to be able to say wait a minute there's nothing I can do about that right now I could just go to sleep. It didn't happen like that night, but when I realized that, then I was able to not have the anxiety and worry come up at a time that it didn't need to be there. And then when I could do something about it, it was there and it motivated me to, to contact people and do whatnot. And I survived, obviously, I'm here, made it through. I think that was another major thing was, well, despite if I worry about it, in the middle of the night or even in the day and even if things go bad and we can't meet the bills and whatnot as long as I am still alive that that's pretty good as long as I have my heart beating my breath that's all I really need and the other stuff not as important enough to get so worked up to invest my entire livelihood and life in it yeah so that was another lesson learned from that middle of the night anxiety Put it in its proper place, allow it to come when it's time to come and something can be done about the situation. And also understand whatever happens with the situation. Life will go on, I'll survive, we'll deal with what we have to deal with. Yeah. So that called up another memory of when I was doing social work, lived in a cubicle, <laughs> um, among many other, cubicleville as I called it. But a stressful, anxious job, having to go out. I was doing the investigative portion. People would send us allegations. I'd have to go out and talk to people and secondhandly accuse them of things and find out what was really going on. So confrontation, <coughs> stress, anxiety. And then there were situations where, well, first of all, the majority of the situations, nothing was going on. People just, instead of talking to their neighbor or 
getting over their rift between them personally, like interfamilial. They call us to have us try to investigate, get information for them. So I would say 90% of what I investigated was nothing, which is good. Then there's the 10% of, well, there's something here, but a lot more can be offered. There's no, nothing needs to be really done. They just need some guidance and pointing in the direction for resources and support. Then there's a small percentage of, oh, we have to get involved and do something here. And that's the part that stressed me out the most. It's the smallest percentage, but the thing I most didn't want to do because of all that it involved, right? So I noticed during then, and especially afterward, when I stopped doing that work, there's almost this constant level of anxiety buzzing within me at the office, at home. It was just always there because of that possibility. But it wasn't necessarily in the thoughts and something that was keeping me up. It was just a constant presence. Like, you hear that buzzing of the furnace? Oh, good timing. <laughs> <laughs> Like that. Then it would come up like that sometimes. Ooh. We worked that out ahead of time. <laughs> the furnace and I. Um, and so I had this calligraphy, little calligraphy at home. So it's in Japanese. I can't read it, but I knew what it said that it said. Had this, just a splatter and a straight line down. So it looks like this kind of, a calligraphy of a stick. And what it said in the Japanese next to it was, if you can answer, I will hit you with my stick. If you cannot answer, I will hit you with my stick. <laughs> and that was comforting for me. What it meant was, whether I know what's happening and, and I have the clear path forward, or whether I don't, life is going to happen. And it's going to hit me. <laughs> life is going to hit me when it's going to hit me like a stick, right? Um, and it was comforting to know, okay, I don't need to worry about this because if I worry about it or not, I'm going to get hit by the stick. Life's coming, yeah? And in that job, it's like there's going to be stress, there's going to be things to do. The stick is coming. A gentler way to put it, this is on one of the slides from the other night. I looked to you since you, you culled all this, the slides together, but um, if you understand, if you have realization, things are what they are. If you don't understand and you don't have realization, things are what they are. <laughs> Again, life is what it is. If you're clear about what it is and you know what's going on, things are still just what they are. And if you don't have any idea and you seem confused and things aren't clear, things still are just what they are. Kind of gets you off the hook of having to figure it out, right? <laughs> things are what they are. Well, maybe to be clear about that is helpful enough. Um, so I think we have this I don't know if it, it seems to be innate, but it could just be this really deep conditioning that we have. Of if we can figure out the answers, if we can solve the equations, then we'll finally arrive and be there. And does it say, well, maybe. It might seem that way, but even if you don't, things are going to be there. 
you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have to figure it out. Just understand things are what they are. Even when they aren't what you'd like them to be. So all that was in like the first five minutes. <laughs> but then it, you know, it wove in and out of my walk. Because as I was walking and these things were coming up, first of all, I found comfort in that. It's like, yeah, I don't know what the pain of this repair is going to be, but I know I don't need to worry about it too much and I'll get a phone call and whatever it is, it'll be doable to some extent. We'll take care of it and life will go on. The stick will hit, I'll say, ouch, and recover and just keep moving through. Um, so as I'm walking, just a, you know, within the first several minutes of getting onto that path, these things are in my mind, and I hear these birds calling, really beautiful bird song. And I'm like, oh. And I look, and strangely enough, right there, uh, next to that path, between that path and I-25, this interstate going by, there's a marshland right there in, near Motor City in Colorado Springs. And so I walk over to this little area they have so you can go look out upon it, and there's red-winged blackbirds in the morning singing their songs. <sighs> Took a picture. Not very good. They were too far away, but it's like, oh, I want to capture that. Great. While I'm wondering and worrying about the car to some degree, I had room to listen to the blackbirds and go and, and capture, capture a picture of them. So I get back on the path. I'm hmm, contemplating the talk, contemplating the car, having enjoyed the blackbirds. Go down the hill a little ways, then I hit the area where the tents start to spread out for the people experiencing homelessness, where they're camping for the season. That was part of my enjoyment of going on this walk, is like, oh, I get to go down and see what life is like for these people, what's going on there, I'll get to connect with them. There wasn't much going on it was too early in the morning, maybe. Not a lot of life around the tent areas. But there were a whole lot more tents than I expected. I'd say 50 or 60 in this one area. And I saw a dog. He barked. So I touched that as well during this time of worrying about my own life. Saw this life spreading out there that people are dealing with in their harsh reality. <coughs> or in the harshness of reality as it's meeting them, or not. They're, they're a community. <laughs> Something joyful there, perhaps. And as I was walking along the tents, there was the code enforcement vehicle that was there. They weren't doing anything. They seemed to just be monitoring, looking at stuff. As I walked on, riding, driving down the, the path, the wide path, came in like a security company's car. So they, they're making patrols down there too. Within two or three minutes, another one came by. So they're apparently making regular patrols of the area. Yeah. Joggers are passing me, cyclists. One jogger passed me this way, then he came back and he did what I do. Because I always say hello to people when, when I pass them and I sometimes walk in a circle and pass the same person not sure if they remember me, even like, hello again. So he came by, he's jogging, hello again. It's like, ah, hello. <laughs> That's what I do. So connected with that. 
And also, um, as I got further away, like the tent area had ended, and there's this bridge where there's another few tents that were set up, and a, a police car had just pulled up, and, an, and, a, and a truck. And I'm thinking, oh, they're gonna have to deal with that, because they're not in the right area. And when I walked back the next day, that area was cleared out, so apparently that was happening too. Some people just monitoring, make sure things are okay. Others go in there to say, you, got to, you can't tent here, you can't camp here, you gotta move out. So that's happening with the blackbirds and the joggers and the cyclists and me contemplating the talk, remembering things in my life and wondering about the car. Every once in a while looking at my phone, did they call? No. <laughs> so then what came to mind was something that I knew was going to be part of this talk, but I thought it was going to start it. Instead, it found its way to this part. And this is um, something that David Weinstein Roshi, one of my teachers, a phrase that he connected with a, a while ago. It's by an old Chinese guy named Yuen Wu. But when David connected with it a long time ago and spoke it to me, I was like, oh, I love that. And I couldn't find out where he got it from. And I didn't, didn't say, where'd you get that from? Which would have been the simpler thing to do. But I, I like to look things up and find it. But I couldn't find it. But when David was here in past, this past November, he um, spoke of it again and, and mentioned where he found it from. And then shortly after that, he gave a talk about it and put it up on Facebook so I could just stole it right off of there. <laughs> and uh, also when David was here, he was talking about it at one of our gatherings. And then he just said to himself, I should get that made into a bumper sticker. If some of you know, I been making these magnetic bumper stickers. And so when he said that, I was right next to him and said, I can help with that. <laughs> and so, and some of you got what I called the mistakes, because um, they didn't turn out the way I liked them. So I made, I got some magnetic bumper stickers made up of this, and I'll get to the phrase in a moment. Um, I promise. But I sent these to him by surprise, I sent him a couple of magnetic bumper stickers that have the phrase and uh, he replied, you know, thanks. Our bumper is fiberglass. <laughs> so it doesn't work on our car. But our front door is metal. And then he had a picture of having put the magnet on his front door. So whenever he leaves the house or answers the door, there you, he will encounter the phrase. Well, this one I don't have on our car, but it turns out our front door is metal too. <laughs> and so I've got it on our front door, so we see it when we're hanging out in the living room. We never go out the door, answer the door. And I had multiple copies, so it's also on, we have a detached garage, and that door's metal too. So it's on the uh, door as, we, as I come home, I'll read this before I go into the house. So what it says is life, death, Calamity, trouble, let them all be, and you enter the realm of awakening without leaving the realm of demons. Life, death, calamity, trouble, let them all be, and you enter the realm of awakening without leaving the realm of demons. Yeah? 
for me, the let them all be isn't about don't don't worry about them. Just let them be and forget about it. It's goes back to let them be what they are. Let life be what it is. Including you, including me. Let me be who I am in response to what life is. Let me be worried. Let me be able to handle it. Let me be disinterested. Let me be excited. All of that. Allow things to be what they are. And then you enter that realm of the Buddha, of awakening, without having to leave the realm of delusion or the demons, right? And then you realize these aren't two separate places. <laughs> the hardships, the things that we may want to try to get away from are the very place where we find awakening, where we find freedom. So there's no place to leave, no place you need to go other than here and journeying through it like walking along a path, worrying about your car or <laughs> remembering things from the past and encountering the birds, everything else. So I really, really do enjoy that phrase, obviously. It's on our doors. And it, it gives me that message all the time. When I'm heading out, whatever I meet, let it be right there fully as it is, including myself. And then when I arrive home, whatever I'm going to encounter, the exact same thing all the time. So the last thing I want to bring in is another thing that happened or something I noticed, a, a connection of things that morning. So when I was heading out, or when before, when I was knowing, okay, I'm going to be way down there and I'm going to walk and I have a choice to walk Motor City or the path, and it's like, I want to walk the path. But it's cold this morning. I wonder if the sun's going to be up and shining where I'm walking, or am I going to be really cold? And I was thinking, it'll be 8 o'clock-ish. There should be enough sun. It should be warm. So my, my thing was, will the sun be there for that warmth? <laughs> and I, as I was heading over to where the trail began, under the overpass, there was a, a man with his sleeping bag and um, possessions hanging out just, he was under the overpass, but on the side where the sun was shining. So he too was seeking that morning sun. And then those blackbirds, the ones I took a picture of were the two that were out on the cattails and the grassy stalks. But over here, there was this tree where many of them, many, there were two there, but maybe 10 over here in the tree, at the top of the tree, catching the morning sun, seeking the warmth of that morning sun, yeah? And then just the night before, a student was at my house, we had met, and then we were talking afterward about, we have these semi-feral cats that live with us in our backyard, and, <coughs> In the cold times, I put a, a heated pad out for them. It's on this little settee couch thing on our patio that they like to snuggle upon in the cold night. But when the sun rises in the morning, they leave it and go soak up the sun. 
that very same morning sun, the warmth of it. One in particular, the one we call Smokey, climbs up on top of the, the bin, the compost bin that's out there, and sits on top of it, soaking up the morning sun. Regardless of how nice and warm the pad might be, just something about that morning sun, it always goes out there and soaks it up. And I thought, ah, I'm also taking refuge in that. You know, these companions, we're all seeking the same thing. In our own way, we're, we're seeking that warmth of the morning sun to help us along our way, on our journey, to keep us going. Yeah. And that seemed like some kind of sweet refuge just naturally happening. Because, again, in our own way, seeking the same thing and finding it. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.